Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. While you're turning there, before we begin the uh, message today, I do want to mention a a couple of things. Um, One is that this month, I know it was in the newsletter, but I wanted to remind everybody that this month uh, we are emphasizing uh, our missions offering. We normally do this, uh, the Stott Wallace Missions Offering, uh, around Pentecost, which is uh, around May and June, is usually when we emphasize this offering. But, you know, we were in such the beginning stages of kind of all the COVID craziness, and so we didn't put a lot of emphasis on it back then. And so we're doing that this month. Uh, what, is, what is the Stott Wallace offering? Uh, well, it is a special offering that we do once a year. Uh, it is uh, over and above your tithe. It's not where you take, well, here's what I normally give to the church, and I'm just going to designate it towards something else. No, it's, it is that uh, it is a freely given. It's not something I look and check and see, well, how much did the Smiths give to this? You know, that's it's totally between you and the Lord. But if you would like to help our overseas missionaries, this is not our home missions, but this is our international missions. It is an offering uh, that is 100% goes overseas. None of it goes toward administrative fees here in the United States. Um, it is 100% going to overseas to help our, our missionaries, and we take this offering up once a year. And this month, uh, we are collecting that offering. I mean, you can give it any time of the year, but we focus on it. We announce it. We promote it about once a, uh, one month out of the year, and we're doing that right now during this month. And it's called Stott Wallace. Uh, because the Stotts and the Wallaces uh, were two uh, families that served very faithfully for many years as uh, outstanding uh, missionaries who brought so many lives to the gospel, so, brought the gospel to so many uh, in, their, in their mission work. And so uh, you can just designate on your check, or if you give online, you know, you can just put there in the explanation, Stott Wallace Missions. And so I just encourage you to think and pray about that if you'd like to have a part in that. And also I want to uh, remind you that we have been mentioning for a couple of months, if you would like to make yourself available uh, to, to serve as an elder, uh, this is the time. If you haven't yet let me or one of our current elders know, hey, I'd be willing to serve, you need to let us know if you're willing to serve in that capacity because next month is that time when we uh, look at our annually, we always in November look and see who our leaders for the coming year are going to be. So let one of us know if you are willing to serve in that capacity. So I just wanted to, to put those couple things out there. All right, let's begin. Would you stand now in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 22, we're going to begin reading verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. 
He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guest, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen." Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and God, we pray that, um, that you would just take this ancient story, and Lord, you would help uh, us to just get a hold of it, to understand the meaning and the power that is contained within, that your Holy Spirit would work to open our eyes and our ears, and most importantly, our hearts that we would receive the message, Father, that your Spirit would work with power among us to draw us closer to you and to make us more like Jesus. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Very few things in life can attract such um, diverse responses as an invitation to a wedding. Have you noticed how differently people respond? I just saw a little, some looks go back and forth between husbands and wives just then. I just noticed that because there tends to be a, a, a divided response there. For some, it's, oh, look what came in the mail, a wedding invitation. And for others, it's, oh, oh no, another wedding invitation. And sometimes the oh, no is from the pocketbook, knowing, oh, no, the, invi- the inevitable hit that the pocketbook's going to take. And sometimes it's, oh, no, because of the time. Sometimes it's, oh, no, because of a shopping trip. And, and squeezing into uncomfortable clothing and dress. But for different reasons, we know we have different responses to a wedding invitation. But that's just the idea of a wedding invitation in general. But a lot of times our response can also depend on who it comes from, right? Because if it's that person that we know you know, that we're in a, sometimes you get the ones and you know you're not even expected to come. You know, oh, okay, there's that great nephew. They want a check. We'll send them a check because that's, you know, that's really what they want. And we will be happy to send them a brand new air fryer and they'll be so happy. You know, it's the one that was on their list and, and everything's going to be all good because we did that. And, and other times we're like, what, do I even know them, you know? I guess I'll send them a belt gift card or, you know. And, and then times we're happy because, oh, wow, man, things worked out for them. Man, that's great, you know, uh, and gives hope to humanity. Or, man, this is my friend, and, you know, I am so excited 
Um, and I can't wait to celebrate because I'm truly happy for my friend, you know, and I, I can't wait to rejoice and enjoy that special day. And, and even those of us who don't really care for all the pomp and circumstance and all the irritating parts of it, maybe if it's someone that we care enough about, we can enjoy, we can go through all those hoops because we want to celebrate with that person. Well, imagine being invited to the wedding of a prince, a prince and a princess. You know, I mean, the, what we have these days, the closest thing is we look at Britain. You know, some of us old enough can remember when Prince Charles and Diana got married and, and all that there was. And then there's the younger generations, and, and, and we know that, you know, their, their lives are constantly on display, and all the rest of us, we get what the paparazzi and what the, what the, uh, the tabloids and the internet stuff tells us. But imagine if you were actually on that guest list, and you were one of the people that got to be invited to that select group to show up to a royal wedding. Man, it, it, I mean, if you had to, like, put a second mortgage, I mean, if you, whatever you did, because you're talking about ultimate bragging rights, you know, what'd you do? Uh, you know, I went out to, to ski, or I went to do this, or, oh, well, on my vacation, I, I went out with the royals, you know, I, I, I was there uh, in Westminster Abbey, I was at the wedding, and, you know, I mean, you can't top that, and so, it would be unbelievable for us to, to be able to experience a royal wedding, the prestige of that, okay? Well, well, take that, and that is nowadays when royals, at least in that case, I mean, they don't even have any power. They're just symbolic. But imagine it back in the day when your life was literally in the hands of a king. When they could say, off with your head, and it was gone. When there, a single word could raise you up or lift you down, anything they said mattered. And a king's son, his son, his successor is getting married. And he sends out a wedding invitation to all the nobles of the land. All the uppity-ups, all the people who should be excited and thrilled that the king thought enough of them to invite them to the wedding. And the most shocking thing happens. Not a single one of them shows up. Not a single one of them starts making preparations. Now, this was back in a day when, when back then, it wasn't like an RSVP you know, they didn't have exact time coordinates. It was just kind of you sent out a thing and people started coming. And, and then when everybody got there, then celebration started occurring. But the king notices nobody's getting here. In fact, scouts haven't reported anybody coming. And the king didn't like this, but, you know, he was in a good mood. He said, oh, you know, maybe they misunderstood the first message. Maybe, maybe just they weren't. Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe they didn't realize how good this was going to be. I'm going to send out a second set of messengers. So he does that. He's showing some really some, some grace and forbearance. 
for a guy that could destroy you with one word and had all power and authority to do so, he said, you know, I'm just going to forget about that slight. I'm going to send out second messengers. And the second wave goes forth to deliver the message. And the second wave goes out. And not only are some of the messengers ignored, some of them are mocked. And some of them are even tortured. And some of them are even killed. And the king gets back these reports. And he is so enraged that he sends out an immediate order, kill them all. (laughs) And they're gone. That's it. (laughs) The nobility of the country, (laughs) gone, over with. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) you know, somebody in his cabinet, somebody is in his circle says, "Um, your your majesty, who's going to attend the wedding now? Uh, we, we, we've just killed everybody who was going to attend. So who are we going to invite? King says, guess what? I don't need no stinking nobles at my wedding. We're going to invite everybody. And they say, everybody? He says, everybody. Open the gates. Go out on the highways, go out into the hedges, go out everywhere you can and tell everybody who wants to come, they can come. People who've never even dreamed to dare to approach my palace, they can come and be a part of a royal wedding. The commoners who never dreamed getting within a mile of me are now going to eat at my banquet table. And so they go out, and this time, nobody ignores, and nobody mocks, and certainly nobody lays a hand on the king's men. And the wedding feast day comes, and everybody's there, and everybody's happy. The rejoicing and the feasting and the celebrating that was supposed to happen the first time is now happening. And everything is wonderful just the way it should be. And then it's like the record stops. And it's one of those moments and everything silences. And the king comes up on a guy and taps him on the shoulder. He says, friend. What in the world are you doing here without wedding clothes on? And the guy is speechless. Uh, 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 He can't even talk. And the king says, bind him up and throw him out out of the gates, out into the darkness, where all there is is weeping, crying, gnashing of teeth. How dare you sneak your way in here without wedding clothes? And the story's over. Now, what in the world was Jesus trying to tell us by this very strange story? Jesus has been talking to the chief priest and the elders. They are the religious leaders of the day. They are the ones who have been empowered by their heritage, 
the priestly line and the chief priestly line was a hereditary one. It was one where the descendants of Aaron would serve in these places. Just like we know nobility runs in families. The son of the baron becomes the next baron and so, so on and so forth. The sons of Aaron... The descendants of the tribe of Levi, these priestly and high priestly families, would enjoy and inherit their service forever. And it was meant to be a privilege, but also a duty, also an honor that always carried with it this sense of graciousness and awe that God had given to them, blessed them in a way that left them humbled, that they should have this privilege to serve God in such a way. But over time, the priestly and especially the high priestly classes and the elders had forgotten who gave them the privilege. But they sure had remembered their privilege. And they began to think of themselves as high and mighty and above everyone else. They began to think of themselves as special in their own way and in their own light, apart from God. And so when a man, a son of a carpenter who had some very hazy background, especially concerning his birth, when he began to come upon the scene and crowds began to gather around and people began to speak of him as a great prophet and even the the acknowledged great prophet John the Baptist began to point to him and say, this is, behold, the Lamb of God. And the people began to look not to them and their hereditary positions of highness, but they began to look at this man, Jesus. It began to anger them. It began to frustrate them. They felt their power base being threatened. And they were disturbed, and they wanted to take Jesus' life. They wanted to do everything they could to take away from him. They wanted to stop. They didn't want a Messiah They had no no joy at looking forward to a coming Savior who might change and rescue them. They liked things just the way they were because it was working out great for them. They didn't care about the little people. They were in power and that's all that mattered. And so when the prophets came along and talked about the abuse and and the sinfulness and, and the violence and the corruption, and all the things that were wrong, and how the nation needed to repent and get ready for a coming Messiah and a coming Savior, they cared nothing for them. They marginalized them. They persecuted them. And of course, they would do no less when the Son himself would actually appear. And Jesus tells us this story. And in this story... Just like the nobles who have no thought, no respect for the king who they deserved all their allegiance should have been toward him. These chief priests and elders who owed everything to God, who had initially given them way back when their place in their lineage. And they should have been completely grateful that they were just ungrateful to the core. 
And the message here was this right that you've had of leadership by lineage, just as much as I have created it, I can completely obliterate it. And I will. And so God did away with that. In the New Testament faith, in the faith of Christianity, there is, there is no uh, leadership by lineage. Preachers' children may become ministers themselves, but it's, that's because they get their own calling if and when they do. But no one steps into the family business. No one, you know, just becomes the next generation. Every single minister of any type of ministry receives a direct calling from God. And by the way, not just in leadership, that's true also of salvation itself. One of the most powerful things I ever heard in life, and if you hear nothing else from this message, you need to hear this phrase, God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren, only children. What that means is nobody comes to faith in God because their mama was a Christian or their daddy was a Christian. You come to faith in Jesus Christ because you had a personal relationship with him. Did your mom or dad or your grandparents help lead you? Did they teach you? They may have done all those things. But none of us are going to enter into the kingdom of God because of our relatives and their relationship with Christ. Every single one of us at some point in life has to enter into the kingdom of God, into a saving faith relationship with Jesus. And it doesn't matter how good or bad our parents or grandparents were. God has no grandchildren, only children. The only way you are related to God is directly through adoption as he adopts you into his family as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So back to the story. The nobles are out. They're done. The new people are in. Which is God opens up a whole new generation. Now those who want to serve and to lead. Unlike in the Old Testament days. You couldn't just pop up and say. Well I'd like to be a priest. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, we're in the tribe of Issachar son. This is not going to work for you. No. It didn't matter what tribe you were from. Didn't matter, you know, if you were uh, rich or poor. God said, it doesn't even matter whether in the past you had lived a good life or a bad life. Did you notice that? That the Bible says that good and bad came in. You know, when you hear the when people hear the gospel, there'll be some people that were fairly quote, good by society's standards that hear the gospel and are convicted and are saved. And there'll be some people who were rotten, awful, did everything for themselves, and they hear the gospel and they are saved. And each and every one, all of us need Jesus equally because all of us, whether society considers us good or bad, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have rebelled against him and we all need salvation. 
And by the way, I believe with all my heart that we're going to be, so many of us are going to be surprised when we get to heaven, when we see who's there and not there, because we make judgments and without knowledge. Only God has that knowledge of what people have done in their hearts with him. But the Bible says all these people, when the messengers went out and they gathered in from the highways and the hedges and they compelled them to come in. Now let's go ahead and Let's fill in the blanks here. Let's read between the lines. All these po folks, okay? All these folks that were not the high nobles. The king would have had to have provided the proper wedding garments. They couldn't have done it themselves. Now, getting the clothes for a wedding, that's a difficult process, right? Matt, can you throw that picture up there? Now... Several days ago, uh, Marin was invited uh, to go along to a wedding. And this, uh, this preceded this long process. Now, there's this thing attached to her. We won't talk to the, about that thing because she's not here for me to embarrass. So I'll let you mess with her next time she shows up. But um, that, you know, whereas if... You know, if me, and Kate, me or Caleb had invited to something, we'd say, yeah, I think I got something I can squeeze into. But, you know, that's not the way that one of my daughters would think. And, and this proceeded to, like, go in from place to place to place to let's find this nice thing to go to the wedding in. And, and uh, man, it's like scavenger hunt times five. I mean, it was crazy. But finally she found just the right thing. But here's the deal with this wedding that's in Scripture. All these folks that got brought in, they were the second choice, so to speak. And by the way, none of them were like, well, I wasn't the first choice. Look, they were just glad to be excited. (laughs) They were happy to be there. They didn't care that they weren't at the top of the list. None of them, no matter how hard they searched and looked, would have found clothes that would have worked. They weren't royals. They weren't nobles. They did not have the wedding clothes. All of their clothes would have been provided by the king. Scholars tell us that this was actually a common uh, a process in the ancient world where kings, when they were going to invite people who just weren't of a certain level, that they would have the clothes ready and prepared. They weren't going to invite someone and say, hey, Joe Bob, come to my wedding, just to prank them and in front of everybody say, Joe Bob, why are you here? Let me throw you out. No, when Joe Bob came to the door, come over here into the side door, Joe Bob. We're going to fix you up. And, And by the time they got done with Joe Bob, he was, Sir Joseph, come this way. Because he looked all nice. He'd been in all the clothes. He was dressed to a T in the king's wedding clothes that were fine. He wasn't even the same person anymore when you saw him when he was dressed in the royal and pure wedding clothes. And it would have been an ultimate insult for Joe Bob to say, nah, my overall's good enough. I'm going to go on in. There was no thought of that. But here this friend had snuck in. Where all the others invited in, all the others who recognized their unworthiness, who recognized the need 
who recognized that only in the king's clothes, bearing what the king could do for them, would they be worthy to sit in his presence at the great banquet. And they willfully submitted to be clothed in the king's garments. This one said, no, I I want the banquet, but I think I'm good just as I am. And somehow had the audacity to think that he'd pull it off. And unfortunately, there's folks like that. Very interesting that the king here calls him friend. Because when Jesus is being betrayed by Judas, he says, friend, do what you came to do. And there will always be those who will seem to be, act to be, part of the group who say, Oh yes, we want to be a part of of your new kingdom. We, we, We acknowledge you. On the outside, they look like all the others. And yet, they refuse to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, if the Bible didn't fill us in, we might believe that Judas was simply a misunderstood guy who was, you know, got caught up in things and made a mistake. But the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus knew he did not believe. He wasn't misunderstood. He didn't make a mistake. He was always a false believer. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And guess what? The fakers can get away with it for a while. But eventually, God will say, out, out, to where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And my friend, we often think of the first classification of people, those who reject God outwardly and say, I'm too good, I have no need of him. But there are many who also reject God silently. And while on the outside they praise God with their lips, but on the inside they go along with Christ and with religion and with the church, but they're prideful of heart and they say, I have no need of him. I am good enough on my own. But no one gets to feast at the banquet without wearing the righteousness of Christ. And that only comes... Through faith in Christ. That only comes as we come to Christ. And we ask, we believe on his son Jesus and what he's done. We believe that we're sinners in need of a savior. And that Christ took our sin upon him on the cross. That he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. We believe, we trust Those things, we trust in him, not in ourselves. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of negativity that we've kind of thought of in this, that we've pointed out in this story. The negativity of 
of the, uh, of the nobles, a.k.a. the religious leaders who rejected the prophets, the servants. There's the, there's the negativity of those poor prophets and servants who were ignored, ridiculed, persecuted, even killed, martyred. There's the negativity of the false believers like Judas and others throughout the ages who have masqueraded as believers and yet have not truly put faith in Jesus Christ and they have sown discord among true believers. There's all that negativity. But I don't want you to go away from this pack passage thinking, oh, that's... Oh, what negative, bad stuff. Because I want you to see that the full picture is that all of that negative stuff that those who rebel against God, none of that stops God's ultimate purpose. Do you know what God's ultimate purpose was? The purpose of the king in this story was to have a wedding and a banquet for his son. And did he have it? Absolutely. He announced it. His son was going to get married. His son got married and the banquet feast was held. All these other folks fought it, disagreed with it, tried to ignore it, but they couldn't stop it. And ultimately, despite all of the rebellion and all the negativity along the way, the big picture and the good news is God's kingdom, despite any and all rebellion, cannot be stopped. God made a plan. To redeem his people, his people whom he created and yet turned against him. Those who would act as if they did not know him and would not follow him. He loved them enough to sacrifice for them. He sent his only son and he said there's coming a day when there's going to be a great banquet. There is a wedding day in which the bride of Christ, that is the church, is going to come together. And on that day, there's going to be an amazing banquet. And there is nothing that can stop that day from coming. We can get on board in full confidence, knowing that nothing that rebellious mankind and nothing that the evil one and his cohorts try to do can stop that day from coming. And so when you and I face opposition, when we face difficulties from circumstances, when we fight against even our own sinful flesh and, and, and the temptations that come from within, much less the things outside, we can be encouraged. We can be strengthened knowing that that wedding day, that banquet, that's coming. And guess what? We all like the banquet. Those of us who think the service is long and the clothes are too tight and uncomfortable and everything is rough, we all like the banquet. We all look forward to when we move out of here and we get into there and we start eating and it's good. Man, we love that part. No matter who you are, you can't wait to get to that. And God says, the banquet is coming. It doesn't matter what anybody else tries to do. The banquet is coming. So I got one question for you today. Are you prepared for that banquet? Jesus ended the parable saying, many are called, but few are chosen. That is an idiom in the ancient Eastern way of thinking that basically meant many could mean all. It just meant far fewer bunches of people get called. 
But guess what? Unfortunately, very few compared to all those that are called actually respond. The Bible tells us, Jesus said, when I be lifted high, I call all men to myself. And he was lifted high on that cross. And he's calling. What is your response? I hope it's not an outright rejection. And I hope it's not even a deception. Such as Judas. But I hope that that response to Jesus Christ whether you're here in person or whether you're watching this message online, I hope that response is yes, yes, yes. I am with you. You are my true king. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. And I can't wait to get to that banquet. And even until that day in which I enjoy sitting at that banquet, I'm counting the days. I'm excited. I'm serving you loyally in your kingdom because I can't wait to serve and I can't wait to sit and feast with you at the banquet. He's called. How have you responded? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, oh God, you're so gracious. Unlike that king who was a super gracious human king by giving a second chance. God, you give us third and fourth and fifth and sixth, and I can't even count as high as how many chances you give us. Your, your mercy is matchless. Your grace is boundless. God, you, you love us so much. And yet, Lord... Father, you, you tell us that unto mankind, unto us, each human, each human being, each man, woman, boy, and girl, uh, we have one life, and after that, the judgment comes. We do not have forever. We have a limited time frame on this earth. Your word tells us that life is like a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. And so we should be sober-minded. We, we should be clear-headed. We should realize that life is not here to waste away, but we should take advantage of the glorious opportunity we have to acknowledge you and to serve in your kingdom, to, to join your team, and to passionately grow closer to you, to respond in a love relationship with you, draw closer to you day by day, God, may every person who hears my voice today do that. And God, may we be so passionate about serving you that it shows to others and that we can't help but tell others about you and invite them. Tell them about the best meal that they're ever going to have, the best invitation. Father, Help us to never get entitled and privileged, but to understand, God, it's only by grace, only by mercy, that we are in relationship with you. Father, as we go into this next song, Lord, would you help us to respond to you 
Father, bowing our heads, bending our knees, perhaps walking and kneeling or kneeling where we are or whatever it may be, God. But Lord, may we, may we not worry about anybody else, but simply, Father, may we do business with you. Each of us hears distinctly from you. Father, may we not disobey, may we not turn away from your call on our life today. And God, you have many calls beyond the call for an initial salvation response. Some are being called to a relationship. Some are being called to specific acts of service. Some are being called to, to give up a sin. Some are being called to let go of something that is not sinful, but is keeping them from doing what they need to do for you, and thus has become a sin. Some are being called to forgive. Some are being called to let go. Some are being called to reach out. Some are being called to be bold. God, there are so many calls that you are calling out, and may you give courage and obedience to answer each of these calls today. May your name be glorified in this time of response. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.